0: Thank you for listening to this podcast message from Stone Presbyterian Church. This message was given by Pastor Bob Stanley. So this morning we're going to pick up on our, our series about being a servant, how to start serving God. And we're going to touch on one of these things that I call this one of the fuzzy things in God's Word. Not because it's warm and fuzzy or cute or anything like that. It's hard for us to pinpoint in our lives. We're going to talk today about pride. And it's something that we all are aware of in theory, but it's it's hard for us to really drill down and trace sometimes in practice in God's word. And part of that has to do with just our world, our culture, our language. And we use the word pride in a lot of ways. And not every understanding of the word pride is necessarily a bad thing. For example, your a family member, friend, a spouse, and someone you love does something amazing, and someone comes up and they grab you by the arm, and they're all excited, and they say, "Wow." You must be so proud. And of course, you are proud. It's something great. They have a great achievement. They've done something wonderful, and you think, I'm so glad that so-and-so is my friend, related to me. I'm I'm part of this company. Maybe it's our church when we do great things, and people say, it's so great that we're part of a church that does that. That's not all bad, is it? No, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Pride is one of those things that depends solely, completely, and ultimately on our heart condition. When the Bible addresses pride, it's talking about it in a negative sense because it's not what we just described. It's not something that draws us outward. It's something that draws us inward. It's not one of those moments where you look at a child or grandchild who's done something incredible, at your spouse who's done something wonderful, that you're part of an organization or even in silly things, you you know, your sports team, just imagine this happens, Cleveland fans, your sports team did something great, whatever, you know, you're excited. From the littlest things to those, those real deep things, like when you see your child do something incredible, something that God would be. Right there, the God's Spirit saying yes, and you think, I don't know how they learned that because I'm terrible, but they did that great thing. That's amazing. That's that's wonderful. That brought that draws everything to clarity. Like we talked about in the first week of this series, how God's truth, God's word, we have those epiphany moments where everything slows down and focuses, and we think, Wow, this is what really matters. Those are good things. But when God's word talks about pride, it's talking about something else. Our heart attitude is what makes the difference here. The kind of pride the Bible warns us about is not this outward emotion that draws us to measure life, to consider the the brevity, how short it is and how important it is to to live for things that matter. This is not the kind of pride that causes us to look around and really focus and go, wow, this, this is important. The kind of pride the Bible talks about, it's all about us. The sin of pride In us. Pride, if we were to understand a biblical and a theological issue, it's the act and heart attitude of preferring self will over God's will. I have a great quote up here from C.S. Lewis from Your Christianity. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation, in every family, since the world began. Wow, the kind of pride the Bible's warning us about, it's it's a big deal. It's not just a Christian issue, it's a people issue. It's a sin issue. In fact, we could say that it's the sin issue. Last week we talked about this idea of prayer and praying earnestly, that we ask, we seek, and we knock, and that we do pray with persistence. And as we pray, we pray and keep praying earnestly. But in that, there's a catch that as we're praying, we're supposed to be seeking God. We're supposed to be pursuing God. That's the, the linchpin. That's the, the most important thing. Everything else hangs on the balance of our hearts seeking after God. Yes, as we talked about at the beginning of the series, that means we know God's word. We seek God's truth. We've got to know the Bible. We've got to understand it and seek to live that out. We've got to then... Pray and seek that our lives would be aligned with God's word. Yeah, we got to do that as well. What gets in the way of that is our sinfulness. Pride might be best understood as my will be done and not thy will be done. It's the opposite hard attitude of being a servant. It is. I once read a story about Ronald Reagan when he was still governor of California. And he had traveled to Mexico City, to one of the provinces. Mexico City, of course, if you don't know, is just enormous. The Evangelical Presbyterian Church, our denomination, is planting churches like wildfire along the border in in Mexico, particularly Mexico City. And the the Mexican Presbyterian Church is partnering with us to do that. It's, It's awesome. Because there are more people under the age of 18 in Mexico City than, I think, most of America from the last study I saw. This is a great thing. It's really amazing. But Mexico City has always been a place. I mean, right there, California, right there. So President Reagan, before he's president, he's there as governor. And he gets up and he gives a speech. And the applause were kind of tepid at best, not real good. He thinks, all right, I've got to figure out. He's a politician. How am I going to connect with these people? So he sits down and he had met a lot of the officials, of course, and been talking with them, had a great time. And another official gets up he doesn't recognize and begins giving a speech earnestly and communicating it. And the people begin applauding pretty loudly, and he thinks, man, I, I better, I better try. I need I need to make a connection. I need to let these people know I, I, I'm a likable guy. So he starts clapping along. And the governor who he was there with, of where he was in Mexico. His counterpart leads over and puts his arm around him with a smile and says, Hey, don't clap so loud. All he's doing is translating your speech. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> President Reagan said it was a good reminder of how important it is to be who you are and to be humble and not try so hard to get everybody to like you. Just make sure you're doing the right thing, and the true thing. Of course, that's what God wants us to do. Pride, in essence, is a celebration and a focus on us. You might even call it an obsession with us, with our wants, our needs, our ideas, our perceptions, our fears, our insecurities. Self-obsession. It can be a major roadblock to know God's truth, but also to know our place in God's plan, as we even saw earlier, our identity, who God has called us to be. Pride is, of course, self-worship, and it pulls us downward, it pulls us inward. It therefore is, as C.S. Lewis tells us, the sin beneath, lurking under the surface of every other sin. It causes us to connect every human event, every relationship every aspect of life and of world around us, to us. The fundamental sin of our human nature, where our hearts cease to focus on God, and that focus is placed squarely on us. It can be obvious to a crowd around us like it was to President Reagan. Everybody sees it, But it can be subtle as well. It really can be a subtle thing. Were those who seem to be the least prideful, those who seem to be paralyzed by low self esteem, anxiety, and worry. Actually, in a spiritual sense, pride, as the Bible defines it, can be fully about that as well. Because pride is self worship and self obsession rather than God worship. And God obsession, rather us seeking God's plans and purposes and God's vision of who we are, we seek to find that all inside of ourselves. So we're going to learn about that today in James chapter 4. We're going to address that. If you want to follow along in your bulletins, you can. It'll be on the screen as well. It's on page 1073 in the Bibles in your seats as well. Let's look here at God's word from James chapter 4, picking up right at the beginning of James chapter 4. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it's within, without reason that the scripture says, the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you will say, today or tomorrow we'll travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills. We will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. On God's word, wow. Think about that one for a minute, guys. It's so tough when you think about this. If pride is self-worship, if it's about our need to connect everything to us, what's it look like when it happens? Now, like our story we told with President Reagan, we see this when politicians and other people do it for sure, but yet also in our hearts we realize that as uniquely as we're made as people, pride works out different ways in us. It can be subtle. It can be quiet. It can be grandiose and attention seeking It can be subtle self-loathing. Yet pride, as God's Word tells us, this focus on self is the root of all of our trouble. That's the one thing pride has in common, no matter how it works out in us uniquely as different people. It's the sin of self, and it's underneath everything. Everything in God's Word tells us that pride affects us. All of our conflict, our jealousy, our lust, our rage, our strife, Everything in all the nations that we know come from that sin nature down inside of us. The desire to have it our way, to be our own God, the ultimate pride. That's what R.C. Sproul calls cosmic treason. When we kick God off the throne and say, hey, it's about time that you do it my way. It doesn't work. We want to hold on to things, to have them be what we expected them to be. And God says, no. Sometimes, though we are persistent in our prayers, like we talked about last week, God says, hold on a minute. Seek after me and quit telling me how it needs to be. It may mean that whatever we're seeking and finding isn't actually what God wanted. Even if we thought so, maybe somebody else told us so. Maybe we do need to keep praying. But if we're pursuing God, as we talked about last week, what will get in the way of that, what we have to strike down if we're going to pursue God is our pride. Do we ask God if what we think our lives are about or what he thinks our lives should be about? When we don't do that, when we seek to set up our own kingdoms, when we don't say, God, what do you want? All of our strife, All of our sinfulness, all of our brokenness stems from that attitude. My will be done. What is the source of wars and fights among you? All the nations, as C.S. Lewis said. All the wars we wage, all the passions that we fight. All of those things. Even murdering and coveting. All of that. All of that strife and quarreling. Whatever it looks like, whether it's actual all-out warfare between nations, or whether it's fighting in relationships. It comes from having the heart attitudes that are not God's but our own. When we don't get, when we ask, it's not because God wants us to ask a certain way. We didn't, like, flip the right lever or if we had clapped three times or prayed just right. God says, no, 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 it's not that. It's about the attitude of your hearts. Because you ask, it says, with wrong motives. You're not about building my kingdom. You want to spend it on you and what you think is good. Wow. Life becomes all about us. Now maybe this morning you're thinking, I don't do that. At least not really. Not like what you're talking about. I'm a good person. Well, as we often hear from God's word, cheer up. It's worse than you think it is. Here it is for all of us. You're sitting at home. You're eating dinner. There's lots of noise. There's lots of frustration. Maybe you're there. Maybe it's just you and your spouse. Maybe you're just eating dinner alone. You're reminded of something you've got to do. Maybe it's a family all around you. There's noise. There's frustration. You're trying to block it all out. You're just looking at something on your phone. This is the most dangerous anatomical position in the world right now. When your hand moves like this and you're kind of lacomatose. comatose, Really? Why do we do that? I think part of it's pride. We're not listening. Don't they know I've got things to do? Why can't they be quiet? There's more important things to worry about than that. And you don't realize for a second that your husband or wife's trying to get your attention and ask you a question. you completely blocked it out. You don't even hear them. Won't they just leave me alone? Don't they know people are relying on me to answer this email or to think about this important issue? I've got an argument to win with somebody. I've got a job to do at work. Don't they understand? You finally tune in and your spouse is saying, hey, are we going to church in the morning? I don't have time for that. Don't people know I have things to do? So much of what is shaping our world today is pride. Pride. If you've ever ended a sentence with, don't you understand, or what's wrong with all of you, every dad in the room is now indicted at this moment, every spouse in this room is now indicted, everybody that's ever dated, every parent, every friend that gets frustrated with a friend, we've all done this. It's pride. The sin underneath it all. Wow. Even when we're quietly sitting at holiday meals, Easter's coming, friends. You're sitting there and you're thinking, thank you, God, that I'm not as creepy as Uncle Steve. He is a weird guy. It's pride, a hard attitude. I am the center, me first. Flows out of our hearts. Different personalities, different behaviors, different attitudes, same struggle, same sin. And it causes all of the stuff that we describe. So let's take a look here at some classic signs. We're going to do a little diagnosis today of spiritual pride. I fear if you're anything like me, this was hard sermon for me to prepare. You're going to find you got some of these. Finding fault in others quickly. Pride will cause us to not only filter out the faults in ourselves, but to only see the faults in others. This doesn't mean there isn't a right and wrong. We talked about truth a couple weeks ago. This doesn't mean that God's word isn't something we should be seeking to live out and that we should say, yeah, it's okay if people do whatever they want. That's not what we're talking about. This is not spiritual libertarianism. That's not what we're saying. Spiritually, that's not what we're talking about. We're not saying anything goes. But when we look at people and all we do is see them critically, and yet we don't see that in ourselves, that is pride. God's word tells us that the remedy for this is to focus on ourselves and our sin first. Having a harsh spirit towards other sins and not our own, beyond that, is just to see other people as that sin. If you've ever called somebody a label rather than seeing them as an individual person, you are out of line with God's word. They are made in the imago Dei, in the image of God, fractured by sin. Differently and maybe worse, and maybe they need to repent, and so do you and I. So start with God's grace and his truth, not with God's judgment, which really isn't God's judgment, it's probably yours. See them as a person worthy of God's redemption. Are there things that they need to repent of? I bet you there is. Me too. How do we see them? We have a a critical spirit that fails to see that we're all sinners. We all need grace. We all need to seek repentance for our sins. And we need to do that. It's not that sin isn't sin. We all need to seek God. If we get to that point, usually there's a superficial nature. We really are good at cleaning up the external sins. At least we try to so people don't see them. But often we don't worry about the internal sins that nobody else knows about. Those can be all kinds of things. Our attitudes, our anger, lust, bitterness. Beyond that, usually pride will lead us to be defensive and self-justifying. We rest in our own righteousness and we know deep down inside, even if we don't think about it, that it's not good enough. We don't rest in God's grace. And then if we're, that way we're self-justifying. Usually then we're desperate to make sure that we are holy before God. We, we think, God, uh, we know you. We're ahead of you. So we say, God, you know what? It's a good thing you and I can figure this all out together. Have you ever done that? God, I know you know that I got this one right. Yes, God is graceful. Yes, God. God is there to walk beside us, to love us, to wrap his arms around us. But he's still a holy, magnifying, powerful. He's a God we want to lift up. He's a God that's beyond all things. That's why we sing whatever the style of music we sing in our worship. We sing all different styles. It's all about the magnificence of who God is. The holiness, the majesty, the power of an almighty God. Because he's a holy, powerful God. And we're not. Since we know we're not right before God, that way often we're desperate for attention. Because we've switched places with God, we think we deserve the attention. People should maybe not bow down and worship us, but they should make sure that they tell us how awesome we are. We're pretty amazing if you think about it. You know, nobody saw what I did, but they should. No one's mentioned to me how great this is going. Don't they care? And as we're desperate for more and more, we don't want God to get the glory we it. Worse than that, we begin neglecting others, and we see them differently as unimportant, the weak, the unattractive, the inconvenient. We're too busy, too special, too together, too in demand to spend time with them. And sometimes these aren't even obvious. C.S. Lewis, again, in Christian Reflections, he says, a man is never so proud as when striking an attitude of humility. Wow. Our hearts can blind us to this, like the Pharisees. If you've ever said, thank you, God, I'm not like the Pharisees, check twice. Me too, for real if we're to have right hearts before God, if we're to understand this, even when we don't have those classic signs, we have to stop, we have to pause, and we have to focus on one person. The cure for this is Jesus. Look what it says here in our passage. Submit to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to him. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. If you're double-minded, and you are, it says... Be miserable and mourn. This isn't what the church talks about today. Wait a minute. You mean we're not supposed to have more lasers? Lasers are fine, but you've got to stop and cause and say, look, be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. Don't pretend it's all just okay. Your joy may have to turn to gloom. You may have to mourn a little bit. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Benjamin Franklin said, there's perhaps no one of our natural passions so hard to subdue as pride. Beat it down, stifle it, mortify it as much as one pleases. It is still alive. Even if I could conceive that I had completely overcome it, I should probably be proud of my humility. (laughs) Isn't that true for you and me? How often do we catch ourselves? I love the great... Black gospel preacher Crawford Loritz, he says, I catch myself so much looking in the mirror and praising how great thou art. We do it. No. Look at this. Verses 7 through 10 that we just read. God will not leave you alone. And when you humble your heart, you seek after him. He's not going to let you get away with this because he loves you. He says, focus on me. You'll have no other gods God's word tells us from the beginning, who's in the first place? God. Look what this passage tells us. When God grabs our hearts and when we have to humble them, when we seek after him, look what happens. The devil will flee because the spirit is going to give you the power. When God knocks you down, he's going to say, look here, I've got you. You're not going to rest in your own power. And when you rest in God's power, the devil will flee. He will draw near to you When you are drawing near to Him, when you say, God, I just can't, He says, good, that's the first thing. Keep coming. I'm coming too. I'm going to get, I'm here with you. You're not going to have to reach me. I'm going to reach you. And when you see yourself in light of God's holiness, you're going to be cleansed. You're going to be humbled and you're going to repent. And it's going to be costful. It's going to be costly because pride hurts. It hurts you. It hurts others. That's the idea where it says God will pick you up. Look what it says at the end. He will exalt you. When you mourn, mourners in the Bible rolled around in the dust and they put ash on themselves. They laid down on the ground. And he says, when you're laying down, when you're blinded, when you see how blind you were to what God had and what God's heart was about, when your heart is so far from God's that that happens, he says, well, hold on. a minute, to come back to me. And when that happens, when you see who you are and what you've done, a little mourning might be in order. But he says, we will be exalted. It's a Christianese word. We like to use that one a lot. But what's that mean? God lifts us up. He picks us up. He holds on to us. We have a new and lasting source of life and hope. And it comes from God's spirit, from freedom of knowing that we don't have it all together. But by God's grace, he does. When we understand the power of the cross that we all need it, something changes. He picks us up and he dusts us off. And he says, now, back to what I had for you to be doing. And when God gets a hold of us, when our hearts are humbled, three things quickly are evident that we do. We've listed some ways you know when you're struggling with pride, and we all do at times, when God sometimes knocks us off of our pedestal and then picks us up, holds onto us and says, now, back to what I had for you. The first way you know that's happening is that you'll begin to speak life and hope, love, grace, mercy, all those things to others. You're going to see them differently. You're going to have a different attitude. Jesus is going to be front and center, and he's going to affect how you see the world around you and the relationships around you. You know the old hymn, I need thee every hour? When this happens, I'm going to do a techno version of that song called I need thee every nanosecond. A little faster, a little faster beat to it. It'll be great. Because when that happens, you're going to step into a situation and go to put your foot in your mouth, and you're going to go, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to look at people that way. Look what the passage says. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Don't defame a judge, a fellow believer. You're judging the law. If you judge the law, you're not doing the law. You're not obeying God's word. You're trying to be God. Does that mean there isn't a right and wrong? No, not at all. Does that mean that we shouldn't say what's right and wrong? No, not at all. But how you say it is much more important than just saying it. Are you saying it as one under that law? Or as if, it's thy will be done. There is one lawgiver, one judge, one who can save and one who destroys. Who are you to judge your neighbor? This is the most misquoted passage in God's word. If you're humble, if you're living right, if God gets a hold of you, your neighbors are going to look at you, and you're not going to say, hey there, Sinner. They're going to come to you and say, what the heck is it about you? This just happened to you, and yet you don't hate everyone. What kind of a freak are you? Say, "What's well, easy. I love you. And God loves you too, and my life isn't together, and it's okay if yours isn't too. Don't say, and I know yours isn't too. Don't say that. I hear you guys. through thin walls in this neighborhood. No, don't say that. Say, I, I'm a mess, you're a mess, and God loves you too. In fact, He's the one above over all this stuff. He's the one that's over all this stuff. And you're gonna understand that because you're gonna know that your life isn't about you. If you want to know you're not prideful, you're gonna say four words Thy will be done. So, Jesus teaches us to pray. Yeah? We know this. A lot of times we say we need a me day. We need a me time. I don't know that that's bad, but in hearing God's word, what it tells us is that God needs every moment, every day. When you stop, When you plan, when you pray, when you keep praying with persistence, like we talked about last week, do you say in your prayers, do you make in your plans, in your dark, this is your heart, the depth of your heart, do you say if the Lord wills it? God, what do you want? And do you stop and you listen? I've been working on that in my own life. I hope you are too. It's an important thing. It's hard, and sometimes you may go a while and still not know what the Lord is willing, but if you're seeking him, if you're recognizing that all of this is for him, it's going to make a difference. Thy will be done. Recognizing that all that belongs to him. Meaning it. When's the last time you surrendered everything to Jesus? If the Lord wills it, God, it's yours. How I see other people, how I see my own plans, my own ideas, even for the day, let alone for the rest of my life, let alone for even just this moment. God, it's all yours. If that's something you're struggling with, if you need prayer, come talk to me after church. I know how that feels. It's a hard place to be. It's a hard place to be. But the foundation of the Christian life is to step in and block the foundation of sin's grasp on our lives. If pride is at the root of all of our sin, then humbling ourselves every moment of every day, taking every thought captive and giving it to Jesus is where we start to give ourselves as people as families, and as the church, how we give ourselves more to Jesus. I love how Dr. Tim Keller puts it. The essence of humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. Friends, let's think more on Jesus and more on how we can love and serve him and the people around us and less on ourselves. That is one of the keys, if not the key, to becoming a servant. Let's pray. Father, this day that we would belong more completely to you, God, in everything that we would give you, that preeminence, that first place, as your word tells us, that we would understand that it's all about you. God, in who we are and what we do and how we see others and how we treat them, even in how we look on them. God, be with us this day. Lord, watch over us. Help us to see others as you see them. Help us to seek after your truth, that your Spirit would guide us, that we would know how to love and to serve a broken world. God, that we would repent of the sin of our own lives, that we would speak life and love and truth to the lives around us, that we indeed would be your hands and feet. God, make us servants, that we would seek you, in knowing your truth, that we would pray to you, to know your will, and that we would humble ourselves to wait on you, to belong to you. Make us your servants this week. We pray in Jesus' name, and all God's people say Amen.